Hello there, and welcome to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. My name is Richard Frankowitz, and I'm the Youth Director here at SFBC. This week, Pastor Emeritus Dave Lee shares about gratitude, contentment, and generosity. Enjoy! I want you to imagine something. Suppose we hear of a missionary who's desperate in need of financial assistance as well as facing persecution. So we decide to initiate a fundraising event to support this missionary through a special offering. And people respond generously with heartfelt concern. We send the funds to the missionary, praying that this will make a big difference. A short time later, we get a message back from the missionary acknowledging the gift. Usually we expect something that goes like this. Dear Sardis Fellowship, Thank you for your generous and thoughtful gift. It was needed, and it's making a big difference. That's what we expect. But what if the, mis- the message went something like this? Dear Sardis Fellowship, I rejoice in the Lord for your gift. Not that I needed it, because God supplies all my needs. I think at that point we'd be a bit confused. Was the gift needed or not? I mean, did God provide for the need in some other means? With that in mind, I'm going to read a familiar text from a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. Now, this letter, this response from the Apostle Paul is similar to the scenario I just painted for you. The church in Philippi heard that Paul is in need. In fact, he's in prison. So they send money via a special uh, messenger named Epaphroditus. The apostle sends back a thank you letter that is also a word of encouragement to the church to keep on growing in joy and in faith and in unity. Now Paul's letter is a bit puzzling because he doesn't say thank you in the way we expect it. In fact, some people have described it as a non-thank you, thank you. But as I read it, you will hear that in this subtle, multi-layered, complex reply, one of the most remarkable and encouraging teachings on giving in the Bible. I've learned so much about the meaning of giving from this passage, and I hope that what I've learned I can properly pass on to you today. I think I've set this up well enough now, and I can read the text, this thank you that they got from the Apostle Paul. It's Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 20. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, he quickly adds that last sentence to ensure that they don't misunderstand him. He's not criticizing them for not renewing their concern for him sooner. He acknowledges that they couldn't do it for reasons that we don't know. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this 
through him who gives me strength. So this is where we might wonder, like, did he need the gift or not? But what a testimony of faith in God's provision. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. We read on. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles by sending the gift. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. He acknowledges their repeated generosity toward him. He's, they've been there for him. Even when other churches are not generous. Then he says this. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Do you get what he's saying here? He does, he's not after their money. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Instead, what he wants is for them to be richly rewarded and blessed by God for their generosity. He can't repay them, but God will. He writes on, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. What a truly wonderful text. And we learn so much about gratitude and contentment and generosity. So let's look at each of those themes together. The themes of gratitude, contentment, and generosity beginning with gratitude. I'm sure you'd agree with me that Paul is grateful. This is not a non-thank you, thank you. This is sincere gratitude. He says things like this, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord, now that at last you renewed your concern for me. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. I have received full payment, and of more than enough, I am amply supplied. He's grateful, right? It's true that he doesn't say thank you the way we say thank you, but he's overjoyed with their generosity. Now here's a helpful comment from a biblical scholar named Gordon Fee. He says, there is good evidence from the Greco-Roman world, which is the world they lived in, that the actual expression of thank you was not a part of friendship as such. As strange as it may seem to us, true friends did not need to express thanksgiving directly in order for it to be received. In other words, this is the way people said thank you in that culture. Notice that his gratitude is in two directions. So while he thanks them for renewing their concern for him, he actually frames it as rejoicing in the Lord. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord 
that you renewed your concern for me. This isn't just interesting. This is important. He directs his gratitude toward God for a gift received from a church. Does that not suggest that he sees this provision of financial support coming from the people of God as actually coming from the hand of God? He sees God in all of this. God stirred their hearts to give. God actually provided them the gifts to give so that God is the provider. Therefore, he gives praise to God. Now, this is something to keep in mind when you give. When you give to the church, and these gifts are used to finance everything from children's ministry to discipleship ministry to worship ministry to youth ministry to preaching ministry to missions and missions projects, all that money is in fact coming through you from God. God is the provider. He provides to you and then through you which makes you a conduit or a pathway of God's blessing. Later, Paul says this, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a fantastic promise? My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. I firmly believe this to be true from my own experience. God is the one who provides for all our needs. And then God who provides to us, provides through us. Let's think for a moment about our secular society and how it influences how we think. It's too easy in our society to lack gratitude because we don't frame it this way. I think we often frame it differently, like this. I meet my own needs through hard work and ingenuity. I could be wrong, but I think that even for us as followers of Christ, we sometimes remove God from the equation. What do you think? Do you think that sometimes we lack awareness that God meets all our needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Do we lose that somehow? There's a traditional grace said before meals that goes like this. I had a friend who always prayed this when we had uh, a meal together with their family. For what we are about to receive, may the Lord make us truly grateful. For what we are about to receive, May the Lord make us truly grateful. Why? Why gratitude toward God for this meal? After all, we worked hard to gain the money to pay for it, so why give thanks to God? Because my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. That's why, including the food on your table and the paycheck that paid for it, so in this text, we learn gratitude. What we have comes from God. Next, let's talk about contentment. I'm sure you notice this passage is saturated with contentment. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances, Paul says. Elsewhere, Paul says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. 
That's so true. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Do you find contentment elusive? It comes and it goes and it doesn't stay very long when it's here and then it's gone again. Some of us are seldom content. And I think most of us long for contentment. When I was younger, I thought along these lines. If this or that happened, or if I owned that thing, or if this frustrating circumstance would just go away, I would be content. That's all it would take, that thing, that circumstance, that friendship. That's all it would take, and I'd be content. Guess what? I learned that it doesn't work that way. You know what else I've learned? I cannot will myself content. Like, let's suppose I write up a New Year's resolution that goes like this. I resolve as of January 1st, 2022, I will be content. What do you think my chances are of success with this resolution? My guess is that it's a dead end. I just don't think that I can will contentment into being. But here's what I observe from the Apostle. He doesn't view contentment in isolation from other aspects of his walk with God. To see this, we have to go back a step in his teaching to catch the flow of thought. So we're going to go back one step in this text, and we're going to look at chapter 4, verses 4 to 9, where Paul gives us a platform or a foundation for contentment. Here's what he says as we go back in the text. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we want to experience peace, right? Here's what the Apostle Paul says. And note that he doesn't say, just resolve to be at peace. Just will it into existence. Instead, he says, rejoice in the Lord, always. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Do not be anxious. Instead, bring your concerns to God in prayer. And when you do this, the peace of God will be with you. And then he adds one more thing. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Fill your minds with things that are good. The world's ready to fill your minds with thoughts that tear you down. Thoughts that are opposite to these virtues. Thoughts where we feel demeaned, worthless, abused, and crushed. And thoughts where we are mean, selfish, crude, and hateful. What I think Paul is saying is, 
It's possible for the world, through many different avenues, to fill our minds with the opposite of that which brings peace. The world might fill us with thoughts that are ignoble, unrighteous, impure, unloving, and even disgusting. Paul says, whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, think about such things. And then he adds, if you follow my example in this and in all kinds of other ways, the peace of God will be with you. When we fill our minds with the opposite, that, that, is, that which is ignoble, unrighteous, impure, unlovely, and even disgusting, then what we're doing is filling our minds with that which robs us of peace. So you see then how he lays a foundation for contentment. He says, rejoice in the Lord, that is, give thanks to God. Let your gentleness be evident to all, that is, be kind to others. Do not be anxious, instead, pray. Bring your cares to God. Fill your mind with things that are good. Follow the example of the Apostle Paul. And when you do this, the peace of God and the God of peace will be with you. So through these positive actions, we experience God's peace. Then, having laid this foundation, he goes on to describe contentment. You can see then how the one follows from the other. What I'm getting at is this. Contentment does not exist in a vacuum. We don't will contentment into being. You can't write a resolution, I resolve to be content from this day forward. No, that just doesn't work. Rather, we build contentment upon the foundation of rejoicing in the Lord, showing kindness to others, praying about our anxieties, and filling our minds with good things. Listen to how he describes contentment. This is in chapter of Philippians 4, beginning with 11 to 13. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Uh, he's writing this from a jail cell. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. He's discovered a secret. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation and that he shares the secret with us all. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Even in the absence of normal creaturely comforts like regular meals and liberty from prison, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. If all the stuff that brings us comfort is stripped away, Paul says, contentment is still there waiting to be found. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Here's an observation from biblical scholar Alistair McGrath as he comments on this passage. We're going into an unknown future. We're going into an unknown future with threats 
and challenges and pitfalls that we don't know about yet. We are going into an unknown future, but in the presence and power of a God whose glory and love is known. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That's the secret of contentment. Which brings us to generosity. We've talked about gratitude, contentment, and now generosity, and I think they all flow together. I, I love the spirit of this church in Philippi. This church is passionate about God. That passion has led them to live all out for God in their community. Paul describes them as stars shining in the universe as they hold out the word of life. I love that image. So just imagine the dark, dark night and the black sky and those points of light up in the sky. And he says, that's what you are as you live out your faith in your community. And that passion, which has enabled them to be stars shining in the universe, has also resulted in generosity. They care about God's work in the world. For this reason, Paul describes them as partners in the gospel. They care about a world beyond their own backyard. They care about places like Thessalonica and Corinth and Athens and Rome. And for that reason, they give generously to missions. Paul says, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. And then he describes their generosity in an incredible way. Your gifts are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. They are passionate about God and his mission in the world. So they send their generous gifts in response to Paul's need as partners with him in this mission. And Paul says, God receives your generous gifts as a fragrant offering and an acceptable sacrifice. Think about this. When we give to support Christian ministries here and around the world, God, metaphorically speaking, breathes in a beautiful scented offering. Giving, and maybe you've never thought about it this way before, but giving is a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice that goes up before God as pleasing worship. When you give generously, you're not paying your dues. You're worshiping God. Well, let me wrap this up. A sermon like this may leave us feeling guilty, uncomfortable, disappointed, as well as inspired, ready to give, generous. But perhaps also guilty, uncomfortable, and disappointed. And this is especially true with all the increased expenses we're facing right now. For example, the price of gas. It cost me $120 to fill up our van the other week, and it wasn't even empty. 
And so we feel guilty or uncomfortable or disappointed because we know what we haven't done. We might be filled with I haven'ts. Now here's an example of what I mean. We may be filled with these kinds of unhappy thoughts. I haven't been properly grateful for God's provision. I haven't viewed myself as a conduit or a pathway of God's grace toward his kingdom work. I haven't found the secret of contentment, not by a long mile. I haven't trusted God to supply all my needs in Christ Jesus. I haven't been regular in giving the sacrifice of generosity to God. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't. And maybe we end up feeling frustrated with ourselves and frustrated with the sermon and maybe frustrated with the person who's giving the sermon. So let me end with a word of grace. We all learn the lessons of this text gradually. The lessons of gratitude, contentment, and generosity. We learn these lessons gradually. Sometimes we may even regress a bit. Two steps forward, one step back. Two steps forward, three steps back. Here's a word of grace. This is from my devotion guide from a few weeks ago. Listen carefully as I read this. However many cues we may have missed, however many wrong turnings we have taken, however unnecessarily we may have complicated our journey. The road still beckons, and the Lord still waits to be gracious to us. Let me read that again. However many cues we have missed, however many wrong turnings we have taken, however unnecessarily we may have complicated our journey, the road still beckons, and the Lord still waits to be gracious to us. Remember, wherever you find yourself today, no matter how many missed cues and wrong turnings and unnecessary complications, no matter how many I haven'ts you can think of, the road, the journey with God still beckons, and God still waits to be gracious to you. This morning, with God's forgiveness and help, ask him to forgive you your failings. Ask him to forgive you the things that you haven't done. Ask him to help you to grow and succeed. He promises he will. With God's forgiveness and help, Embrace the lessons of this text and grow in gratitude, contentment, and generosity. And I think that all of these fit together because I believe that grateful people become contented people, become generous people. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we rejoice in your provision in our lives and the promise that you will meet all our needs according to the immeasurable riches of your glory in Christ Jesus. And may we grow in gratitude and learn the secret of contentment 
and become generous people, worshiping you through our gifts. Father, forgive us our trespasses and empower us by your spirit to live as stars shining in the universe. We pray this in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Have a great day and God bless.